Father God, we look to you now for that help by the wonderful, powerful Holy Spirit who you sent for that very purpose to point our minds to the direction of Christ and to the truth that sets our hearts free. We pray, God, that this would be life-changing. We're being confronted by your word to comfort us, to guide us, to give us wisdom, and to show us things that are important so that we can indeed be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we'll get situated here. We're back in Acts chapter 20 in the uh, closing uh, portion of the third missionary journey. I have a uh, slide for you, and I'll talk a little bit, and then uh, we'll get situated the slide of the map of the third missionary journey there. So as most of you know, um, this is the uh, third and final missionary journey. Of course, you could consider Paul's all-expense-paid trip to Rome as a prisoner. Uh, Actually, God pours out his spirit. There are miracles. The gospel is being preached. There's converts and all of that. So some people actually call the, the trip from Jerusalem and Caesarea to Rome as the fourth missionary journey, which is interesting. But it's been 16 years, all three of them, and this, as I said, now coming to a close or so, it will take a chapter uh, to get all the way back home. Uh, But 5,580 miles so far by land, 6,770 miles by sea, all three journeys, 12,000 miles, an area being evangelized to 1,500 square miles, led by uh, mostly Paul the Apostle with uh, teams of Christians who took Jesus' words to go into all the world and preach the gospel because God wills that nobody perish but to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so uh, facing many dangers and persecution and threats unto death, uh, they went out in obedience to the word of God. And so here we are in Acts 20, actually at the turning around point. It's time to be homeward bound, if we can call it that. And uh, last week we saw uh, where we're at here. Um, Let me take you there with this little pointer here. So this is the third missionary journey, and we left off in Ephesus, right? And um, what was happening in Ephesus, of course, was that there was this big riot after three long years of evangelizing the entire province of Asia, and that would be this area, two million people. So what kind of ended their time there, of course, was Mr. Demetrius, who was a silversmith. He, he made his living, a good living, by making idols that nobody wanted to buy anymore because they turned to the true and living God. And so that kind of marked the occasion to kind of wrap things up. Paul wanted to take the team, and he did. He went to Europe. This is Europe now, modern-day Greece. And so they went back to visit their friends in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and then they made their way encouraging the church plants that they had planted up to 10 years earlier. Uh, down to Corinth, where now we found ourselves last week. So we've been in Corinth, right? And he stayed in Corinth for three months. 
And you may find it interesting to know that during those three months, he was busy writing his friends in Rome. It's called the Book of Romans. In those three months, and he expressed wishes to come and see them, but he also will tell them, I need to go home first. And so that's the, he needs to go home to Calvary Chapel, Antioch, somewhere around here, (laughs) all right? And that's the sending church, but he wants to go home by way of Jerusalem because he has a love offering from the Gentile churches to help them in their famine and their, uh, the, the Jewish Christians there were suffering. And so here he is in Corinth with the team. And he says, guys, it's time to go home. So this is where we're going to pick up. And so what happens is, is that there's a death threat aboard the ship they're going to take, right? Uh, so from Corinth. So most of the team gets on the ship because they're under no threat. And then the first stop on the way home is Troas. Troas is up around here. And so uh, they go directly. The team goes on ahead. Paul and Luke go up north by land, back up here. That's Paul and Luke. And they go back, and they're going to sail from Philippi. But the agreement is, we'll get to Troas, where there's a layover. The ships don't go directly. And they're going to spend a week there at, and as I love to play around, call it Calvary Chapel, Troas. There's a little church in Troas, and they've got a week layover, and they all meet up, the team. There's listed seven names of seven guys uh, from those Gentile churches that form the team. And so uh, that's the context. So uh, let me tell you, they've been there for a week, lots of things going on, but there's one thing in particular that the Holy Spirit wants Dr. Luke uh, to record for our edification. And so uh, it's their last night together. It happens to be a Sunday evening service, a worship service, and we're going to join them now for this most amazing incident. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, that is the Lord's Day, Sunday, We came, we, whenever we is in Acts, it means Luke, who's writing, is with the team. Sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. But you always know when Luke is present with the we. We came together to break bread there at Troas with the Christians there. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. (laughs) What? What is wrong with these preachers? When Eutychus, whose name means lucky, was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Who's down there first? Dr. Luke, who writes the death certificate, who tells us uh, there was no respiration, no heartbeat. Dr. Luke, we picked him up and he was dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. 
well, something's gone on in verse 10 uh, there. It's called the miracle of resuscitation from God, a minor resurrection. I say uh, resuscitation because the poor guy's going to die again someday, you see. So it's not like resurrection, like our resurrection will be never to die again. All right, so he's alive, Paul says. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And <laughs> after talking again until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were very greatly comforted. This is the word of God and it is for our reflection this morning. This is our text. So let's get some context. We'll dig dig into this rather delightful story. It's kind of fun and entertaining. I'm not sure Eutychus would agree uh, that it was so much fun, uh, but it does have a happy ending. It's Sunday evening service. The church has begun because the Lord was resurrected on Sunday. Uh, The church met that Sunday evening, and the next church meeting is the following Sunday evening. And now to distinguish (laughs) Jewish Christians from uh, Jews who rejected Christ and worshiped on Saturday, the Sabbath moves to Sunday, the Lord's Day, and they're gathered there on the Lord's Day, breaking bread, and they're having a home fellowship group, as it were. They're having church. They're singing hymns, and they are taking communion only with bread and wine and in relationship uh, with one another. Uh, And so that's how it could be in the early days of the church. And so a delightful little... Incident, isn't it? Um, you know, the subject matter just lends itself to a chuckle. You, who doesn't laugh when they read the story? You know, I gotta say, everyone can relate to long winded preachers <laughs> and feeling drowsy in church and trying to disguise your yawn and uh, trying to stay awake as the speaker goes to quote the passage as the speaker goes on and on (laughs) and on. (laughs) It's just funny, and pastors can't resist it even. Uh, You know, I saw some interesting creative titles while I was doing research, you know, by pastors of their own message, death by sermon. (laughs) I love this one, bored to death. (laughs) There you have it, you know, so... Actually, it's not fair to blame Paul for preaching too long or to blame Eutychus for passing out in the middle of his message. Uh, That's not fair because that's not the point of the passage. The passage is definitely not about long-winded messages or falling asleep in church. Uh, There's something profoundly more important here and um, maybe that's why after a week of a lot of action, Every day, 24-7, the only thing God wants you to hear about Troas is this incident. Because oftentimes God will take a historical, physical incident and preach a sermon through it. Because it has a spiritual application. And the spiritual application here is a matter of life and death. And so I hope when we get there, you'll be awake to hear it. So let's begin with the preacher and the setup for the fall, as it were, pun intended there. And, uh, uh, and his longer than usual sermon, let's take this apart. 
So admittedly, sometimes it's not always easy to stay focused in church. There are many factors working against us, me included, when I'm in church. Uh, I remember wanting some tea before service. So I went back there, and I'm rummaging through the selections, and I saw this chamomile, you know, and I'm like, I don't even know what that is, you know. What is it, chamomile? What? I, yeah, buy. And then I saw peppermint, you know, and I'm like, ah. Uh, you know, I kind of grew out of that as a kid. You know, no more peppermint. <laughs> you know, and then I came upon this winner, sleepy time tea. <laughs> in church, I thought an enemy has done this. <laughs> and I went to hospitality. <laughs> what? What was somebody thinking in church? No, 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 no. So, yeah, I made sure it was out of sight and out of reach. <laughs> So here in Troas, the teaching, time is going long, but Paul isn't doing anything wrong. He is a thoughtful man. He is other-centered. He is considerate. He's well aware of what's appropriate and what constitutes excessiveness. It's a special night. Uh, they don't have a letter that when he leaves, they can refer to his words. No, like the Corinthians, the Philippians, and the Thessalonians they don't have that. They don't have a Bible. And it's their last time together. The word of God is coming forth. He's excited to bring it, and they're excited to hear it. And so that's the situation that's going on there. It's their last night together. He's got something worth saying. And so, you know, now in those days, of course, no clocks on the wall, no digital countdown for the pastor to know um, kind of warning a pastor, hey, listen up, hope God is through inspiring you, sir, because you've got about five seconds left, brother. Five, four, three, two, one, boom. Zip the lips. So I personally appreciate that clock, and most pastors always will take their watch off and make a big thing to show the congregation, look, I'm sensitive to the time. I know you have lives, and so I, I, I want to be considerate, you see. Now, in the Western civilization, since we're talking about this stuff, we'll talk about this stuff. Um, you know, Western civilization, it's more like this. But when you go like to third world countries where I've been, I'll stop preaching at an hour thinking, uh-oh, you know, and no. He's a brother, please keep going. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, you keep going, you know. So, but I think that said, 1 Corinthians 14 says that everything in a worship service should be suitable, proper, fitting, decently done, and in order. And I think the length of the sermon um, fits into that category. Uh, now, the length of the sermon should be appropriate. The problem is... <laughs> what's appropriate, you know? And so let's talk about that really fast here. Uh, longer sermons don't seem to bother this bunch. Uh, I mean, for you who keep coming back um, to a sermon that's a tad longer uh, than the average sermon. How do I know that it's a tad longer? Well, it's kind of right in the ballpark, actually. Uh, Gospel Coalition posted this article. How long should a sermon be? 
Pew Research Center recently analyzed 50,000 sermons preached between April 7 and June 1st to determine average length of sermon in the United States. Their answer, 40 minutes. All right. Now, one of the experts commented, love this. If you're a solid preacher, yes, 40 minutes, and perhaps 10 minutes longer. But if you're not very eloquent or interesting, consider going shorter. (laughs) Check. (laughs) Love it. Now, being bored uh, can be an unpleasant thing. I have a college civics teacher once who should have been arrested uh, for inflicting pain like that. Uh, but, And I'm sure I've inflicted my share of pain and suffering on people, uh, but I also know how it feels uh, to be in a service counting light bulbs or checking my email or praying for the Lord's return. <laughs> I like that one personally. (laughs) Uh, It's not a lot of fun. And sometimes it's his fault. And sometimes it's the topic's fault. And sometimes it's your fault and my fault. Uh, Here's a, a great line from the article. When sound teaching is properly delivered with any degree of interest or eloquence, most congregations are gracious to the speaker, wanting him to take necessary time to develop his points, communicate the truth, and apply it to our hearts and lives. Amen. Now, a word of balance, and before we move on, uh, about eloquence in the pulpit, there's a responsibility to the listener. I was at a pastor's conference I told you about three weeks ago, uh, Monday through Wednesday, down south at a mega church with all these pastors together, a couple thousand, I don't know, lots. And uh, Monday, three ser- every morning, three sermons. Every afternoon, two sermons. And every evening, one big sermon. So there was a lot of talking, a lot of speakers. And, and I have to say that not every speaker was a 10-star speaker. But does he need to be? That's what God was asking me. Does he really need to be? And not every message was exhilarating. And what God was asking me was, does it need to be? Can you respect and revere the moment where a God-called man is, is discharging his duty to God to bring forth God's breath, God's word to our hearts to do its work? And so God calls us to be mature Uh, There remains a sobering responsibility in God's sight, said this author. God's expectation on the hearer to make every effort to engage regardless of speaker's skill, irrespective of personal interest in the topic at hand, knowing there's always something God has for us every time we're under the teaching of his word. And so he asks us to be less critical and more open and humble to hear not what somebody's missing who should be here, but for actually our own hearts and edification. And so uh, he's happy to continue on and on and on uh, until there's an emergency. So let's move on to the emergency and the problem. The problem in the text is not Paul, it's not the long-windedness, 
and it's not Eutychus. It's called the perfect storm, isn't it? The problem is an unusual combination of things that produce an unusually bad result. That's what a perfect storm is, and that's what's going on. Let's break it down uh, cloud by cloud. Number one, it's midnight. Most humans uh, like to be asleep at that time. Uh, Everyone in the room, including Paul, should be very tired and drowsy. Uh, Number two, it's been a long day in the Roman Empire. Most Christians, most of them were indentured servants slaves who worked really hard that day all day they worked hard they're physically exhausted and it's midnight number three they ate a big meal together now i don't think food comas are just a modern uh, invention i think food comas as i like to call them you know what i'm talking about right you eat a big meal and it's time to go nine <laughs> You know, you just get sleepy, right? So that's working against them. And we're told, number four, there were many lamps burning. Now, why do we care? Why do we care? Do how many lamps? Count them. Do we care that there's two or three? No, many. So we're talking oxygen flow. We're talking haziness, heavy air there. We lived in Japan for four years. We were missionaries. They adore kerosene heaters. They're everywhere. In the winter, they're everywhere. I'm getting woozy thinking about that heavy smell, that kind of thick oppressiveness in the room. And when you've got a bunch of bodies and it's warm and there's a bunch of kerosene heaters, oh my word, the perfect storm. And so Lucky, as he was named, because God knows what's going to happen in our lives. So he inspired mom and dad. Hey, you guys, name him Eutychus. (laughs) Because there's a story coming up in Acts 20 where it's going to (laughs) just... It's really going to work for him, you know, so he does that. Uh, So Eutychus uh, gets himself to the window ledge there for some fresh air because Eutychus isn't bored. He wants to stay awake. He's interested in Paul's sermon. He's fighting the good fight, right? So as Kent Hughes, love him, got his whole commentary said, there's evidence that Eutychus fought to sleep the best he could. The tenses of the Greek verbs portray this poor lad as being gradually overcome despite his struggle to remain awake. Yet in the end, sleep got the best of him. The word translated sleep is where we get the English word hypnosis. Whoa. So it's being hypnotized as Paul's going on and on and on and on. You feel it? (laughs) Did you get a little sleepy time tea this morning? (laughs) That one right over there is a problem. All right, moving on. We all know that horrible feeling where you're like, whoa, you know, it's kind of like out of nowhere, your brain signals you. Mm, Closing down now. Uh, Time to go nine-nine. Main operating system now shutting down. And you're like, excuse me. I want to see how this whole movie ends. So you fight back and you say, oh no, I'm in charge here. And then you hear a little voice, oh no, you're not. 
you're going down and you're like, I'm not. And you have this little argument and you cut, you know, I'll change positions or I'll get up and I'll get a glass of water and I'll come back and everything will be cool. But you come back, you sit down your water and you hear three, two, <laughs> one, boom. And it happens. Then you wake up, the movie's over, you're like, Barb, what happened? <laughs> Why didn't you wake me up? Well, I tried, but... Mm. So that's what's going on, and it's rather dangerous. It's cool if you're in your comfy chair. My, my chair is my favorite chair in the house. It's just perfect. It was made for me, and I was made for that chair. <laughs> But if you're sitting on a ledge of a window on the third story or driving behind the wheel of a car, uh, then you're in trouble. And notice your text. Verse 9, he was sinking into a deep sleep. A hazardous situation indeed, but more perilous than you'll ever know. Another situation. You and me in the window because we are, in a spiritual sense, broken sinners, vulnerable, and in danger. And we are seated in the window, in a spiritual sense. And now we come to the true purpose and the deeper truth of why Dr. Luke was prompted to tell us all about this incident so that you and I, who sit in the ledge with many lamps lit, will not get woozy, spiritually speaking, and take a tumble to our demise. Yeah, a fall from grace, a fall from first love, a fall into immorality, and as a consequence, our lives will never be the same, Christian or not. So it's what Jesus told Peter and the rest of the disciples on the night he was betrayed Mark chapter 13, you'll see the spiritual connection here. Then Jesus returned there in the garden of Gethsemane and found them sleeping. Simon, I'm not even going to use the rock name for you. No more Peter right now. You're acting like Simon. Simon, are you asleep? He said, were you not able to stay awake for one hour? Stay awake, man. Pray so that you will not fall out the window, backward into temptation to your demise. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Isn't that what's going on? Isn't that the point of this passage? That's it right now. And I must alert you who's sitting in the window, all of you are, that many lamps are lit in the little room you call your life, aren't they? Lots of things in life can set you up for spiritual drowsiness and neither evil or good. They're just natural things like Eutychus. Poor guy, he's in the right place. He's trying to do the right thing. He's listening to Paul the Apostle. Next thing you know, boom. And that's what happens a lot of time. They were in church on Sunday and then something happened They fell into a spiritual (laughs) snooze, and then a lot to lose. Um, The circumstances of life, many lamps burning around you, my friend, work 
uh, hours are long, aren't they? You get exhausted. You have financial pressures. That brings one torch, brings its uh, smoke out. You know how about the torch of studying hard in college and trying to make it and earn a degree. How about painful losses? They let off some fumes themselves, don't they? How about disappointing setbacks or rude comments or hurt that your family member would cause you, difficult personalities? They all seem to add up, don't they? And you have them flaming and the smoke and swirling and it's all together. You're physically tired, you're emotionally drained, you're mentally challenged, and that's when the devil comes in and sees Eutychus on the ledge, thinking, uh, you know, I'm all that, I'm okay, I've walked with God, I have spiritual gifts, and I'm sitting myself right here. And he says, with his devils alongside, playing the violins, feeling sleepy, <laughs> feeling sleepy, Boom, and he gives you the push, and out the back you go. Remember the fawn and the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, who was in the white witch's employ? His job was to lure Lucy, who is the most devoted to Aslan, the most devoted, right into his little cozy home right next to the fire and it was so warm and then he fed her and made sure her tummy was full and then the fawn brings out the little flute to play a little intoxicating tune and you just watch Lucy's eyelids get heavier and heavier until she's out now she's incapacitated and the white witch can come in and slaughter her. Why? Because she's asleep at the wheel of her life. Like so many of our so-called professing Christian friends. Like ourselves at times, you see. He sank into a deep sleep and took a nasty fall. Like King David. Oh, King David. A man after God's own heart. He doesn't need to be careful. He's not on any third-story window about to fall. No, he's not on a third-story window. He's on a rooftop. And all the smoldering concerns about why aren't I out and fighting in the war? And why is Absalom or whoever, you know, whatever kids were born at that time? Why is my life so difficult and Israel so hard to uh, shepherd? And the smoke, and he gets all, oh, and the devil says, look at her. Look at her. She's pretty. What's she doing on the roof there? Bathing. Boom. Splat. And it ends up in murder. It ends up in adultery. And it ends up a death of a baby. Why? Because he got spiritually woozy and didn't snap out of it. He didn't keep himself awake. We have a lot of examples of that going on all around us for sure, sadly. 
And now, you know, one minute someone's in church, the next minute where they're online following a hip, cool personality or reading some woman who, uh, you know, all the ladies reading this popular woman with four million gabillion followers, only she's got a different gospel, a hip and cool version. We've taken out all of the repentance and all of the hell and all of the threats. Just make it so a gospel everybody could love. A gospel you could be proud of to tell everybody at work. You could go on Oprah and Oprah would go, love it. If Oprah Winfrey loves your gospel, you're in big trouble. (laughs) Go ahead, go ahead. Well, what happened? Somebody took a little siesta, a little spiritual nap, and boom. You should have been paying attention at the conference, a speaker said this, gentlemen, I don't need to remind you that you're just two clicks away from destroying your ministry, ruining your marriage, and shipwrecking your faith, do I? Two clicks. Every single one of us are way more vulnerable. How many times have you heard of a marriage splitting at 25 years, 30 years, 40 years? What? Somebody had a lot of lamps burning that night and started to do this, and then they did it, and they took a fall. And let me just tell you, love the grace of God. There's a safety net for true believers. (laughs) But you can be, you will never be the same sometimes. You will walk with a limp. You you fall in three stories. You will walk with a limp. You may need (laughs) a cane. You, You may become disfigured. You may be paralyzed. That's what happens. Paralyzed in certain ways. Oh, my word. We just think, well, God will forgive me, I know. Forgiveness is always available, but there are some things in life you cannot fix. You can't fix them. Can't fix them. Went to a recovery center, called. Just, he wants a pastor. Friend of a friend, he told him about the rock. He calls, I go out to Azure Acres and Sebastopol. I sit next to this guy on his bed. He's in recovery. It's a picture of the most beautiful wife and kids I've ever seen. Magazine, right there. And he says, I threw it all away. Drinking and gambling. She gave me a million chances, and she's gone. She's going to remarry. She's going to remarry. It's over. I see them here and there. It's over. I threw it all away. Why? Because he's feeling sleepy. Are you? No, room this size, there's people feeling sleepy. There's people feeling sleepy. Sorry, I I don't know. Maybe I'm putting you to sleep. But we got some happy news here. You see, um, we're not called to be sleepers. We're called to be awake. First Thessalonians chapter five. We're winding down, in case you're wondering. 
<laughs> like to give Eutychus a little hope. Hang in there. It's almost, you're almost there. Uh, but you, Eutychus, on the third story, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're children of the light. Hello, children of the day, sunshine, awakeness. We are not of the night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. Learn from their bad examples. Let us keep awake and be sober. There it is. Those who sleep, they sleep at night. All kinds of bad things happen when you're asleep at night, right? They get drunk, they do this, that. We belong to the day, so we stay awake, brothers. Man, how do you stay awake? I'll tell you right now. Daily disciplines. In our house, we've got Bibles everywhere. I usually use mine on the phone, but there are Bibles everywhere. Why? I want to be, and I've lived my life this way, constantly slapped about, constantly smelling salts around me. The radio set to a dial, Christian, worship music is everywhere. Why? Because every time I hear the lyric, oh, I'm pulled in, right? Every single time I see a Bible, I think every time I'm in church, every time I'm in church, and the devil is always telling you uh, to take away some of the things that keep you spiritually alert. You don't need to go to church. There are people who should be here today because you never know when it's your Sunday when God is going to bring this thing that's living and alive and wow, you're changed and just for you. Serving in the church. BSF. Every little thing that can help keep you from spiritual slumber and a disaster. Your sin crouches at the door. Genesis 4 to Cain, the Lord speaks, man, listen up. Sin is crouching at your door. It wants you. But you must master it. There are sermons. This is a sermon. I worked on it hard all week. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. We're almost at the end. <laughs> but then there are moments in a sermon where this isn't, this isn't it. It's alive in the room. It's like, what happened? God showed up and he's pointing to our hearts and he's saying, listen how vulnerable you are. Do not risk your precious life. Live with vigilance and alertness. Do not go to the edge and see how far to the edge you can go without falling off because you will fall off and your life and your wife and your husband and your kids and your Christian testimony before the world and your saviors whose heart, his heart will be grieved will never be the same. So let's close on a happy note with the resurrection. Uh, Dr. Luke does go down and pronounce him dead. So make no mistake about it. He wasn't mostly dead as Wesley was <laughs> in Princess Bride. He was all the way dead, all the way dead. He was picked up a corpse in the Greek. He was picked up not like a corpse. He was picked up a corpse. 
dead. And God had mercy, and he always does. You know where his brothers, sisters there, people in the youth group, he's a young man, by the way, in his teens, according to the word used. They run down the flight of stairs, and there's a commotion, there's an uproar, and they're going to start wailing, right? The word for alarmed is the word for the uproar of the riot in Ephesus. So the neighbor's lights are going on, you see. And Paul says, no, no worries. God is working here. He's alive and picks them up. I really like one point that says, look, we go to these, to our friends, our family, our, our brothers, our whoever they are who've taken a fall. We go out, we try to be in, in, in wisdom when it's appropriate. We lavish upon them our prayers, our love, our welcome, our, our welcome. We want you. Sometimes that's not possible, depending on the situation. We do what's biblical and what's wise, and God always points us to the direction. But uh, by and large, we do what Paul did. We go down to be helpful, right? And so, yeah, um, so then they do what is just fabulous. They have a meal. They eat again. It's probably one in the morning. It's time to eat. Uh, because what happens after stress? You want to eat. And so they do. And it gives them a nice kind of way to air everything out, rehearse what happened. Oh, my goodness. Bro, I saw you sitting there, and I saw you kind of doing this, and I was like just about to come over and say, man, maybe you should move out of the window, you know, and all of this, and they want to hear Eutychus, Eutychus, tell us, what, what was that like? And like a typical teenager, he would say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. One minute I was listening to Paul, the next minute I saw him hugging me, <laughs> you know, and carrying me and lifting me up, and so that was beautiful. So after, and it was genius, so after they had a little bit of fellowship time and could get work it all through, he gets back up and starts teaching until sunrise. And I can assure you, nobody fell asleep after <laughs> that, right? And so I just picture some handyman coming over. We've got a million builders here among us, some handyman just coming by, shutting the window and nailing, <laughs> shut, you know, just from now, just tonight, you know, nobody opened the window, you know, get any ideas, but this is what they're doing. Maybe Paul got up and said, you know, speaking of this whole situation, brothers, I've got something that the Lord Jesus said, Matthew 24, and uh, he started preaching something like this, therefore, Jesus speaking, Let's say it all together, those two words. Stay away. Some of you didn't sound like you were awake, but <laughs> let, let's try it again. Therefore, stay away. Because you don't know when the Lord's coming. You have no idea when I'm coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch, been awake, and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man, which means himself, that's a title of deity, will come at an hour when you don't expect him. So that's, I imagine Paul getting up and saying, well, you know, this sort of reminds me of what the Lord Jesus said. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for your love, your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. To us, Lord, 
your wonderful patient. We pray, Father God, that you would show us now as we take communion together the areas where we might be flirting with disaster a little too close to the edge, a little too comfortable, a little too cocky, a little too confident in a bad way that we humble ourselves and realize our vulnerability and cry out to you every moment of every day to keep us awake. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.